In stage one, we say nothing is going to happen. Stage two, we say something may be going to happen, but we should do nothing about it. In stage three, we say that maybe we should do something about it, but there's nothing we can do. <laughs> stage four, we say maybe there was something we could have done, but it's too late now. <laughs> Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and if I sound a little weary, I guess it's because I am. I've been uh, struggling with this, and I finally turned the microphone on and started speaking. So let's not jinx it by complaining. Let's just keep the ball rolling and hope that I can get half an hour of perhaps thought-provoking, challenging ideas into this microphone. And the way that sentence went, uh, we're looking like we're in pretty poor shape. So don't expect a stellar episode. (laughs) Oh God, why? Do you ever get the feeling that the world is just kind of falling apart around you? But not just as like a random thing that's happening out of your control, but almost as a direct response to your inner state of mind. Because I've had that feeling recently, narcissistic as it may be. Do you remember those those episodes I did, the stories they tell about your job? I think it was basically just me bitching and moaning about my lot in life and ignoring all of the privilege that it was built on. But I've always felt that to some extent, jobs are slavery. And this is not to equivocate employment directly to slavery, because slavery is obviously much, much worse. But just that for all intents and purposes, we have about as much choice about doing our jobs as a slave has about digging ditches. Yes, to a very limited extent, we can choose the form of our enslavement, but we can't choose not to be enslaved. We have to turn up every day and spend, let's face it, the majority of our time doing this fucking thing that for most of us isn't the thing that we would choose to do if we had true freedom. The way to truly realize this truth is to quit your job and just see how you feel about that. And just over three weeks ago, that's exactly what I did. There are all sorts of uh, emotions that run through you when you quit your job. And I'm not saying I did this on a whim. I had been thinking about it for a long time. The episodes that I did way back when were part of that thought process. But the actual moment where I wrote and sent the email giving my notice was, to some extent, spontaneous. And I'll tell you, the main thought that runs through your head as soon as you do that is, What job are you going to do next? And it really highlights how much there's a mental slavery going on. But for me, it started earlier than that, this feeling. Uh, Maybe it started when I decided to get healthy and I asked Doug Wilson to write up a program of yoga and meditation. Maybe it started last year when my work schedule 
nearly ran me into a state of mental and emotional exhaustion. And I got to see just how little anyone actually cared about that. You know, no judgment, but the world is not built, or at least the business world is not built to allow people to care about each other. And uh, that was the world that I signed up for. Maybe it happened when I ran for the train and I heard this massive crunch in my in my right knee and ended up unable to walk for a few days. And, you know, I'm still limping around now as a result, still trying to get those last little pieces of glass-like substance out of my knee. You know, my friend Jay Ridley, who's been on the podcast before, he used to say there are only really two different kinds of stories. They're either everything gets better or everything gets worse. And I'll tell you, it really seems like the latter is in play recently. I've had uh, family members in hospital. My own knee injury that I mentioned has been bushfires. And now this coronavirus, this COVID-19 or whatever they're calling it, people are hoarding toilet paper. Toilet paper, for fuck's sake. Who the hell heard about this virus and said, right, first things first, we need to secure all the toilet paper in the area. Not medication, not flu shots, not anything else. Toilet paper. Because we'll be shitting and no goddamn virus is going to stop us. It feels a little like the narrative of the entire world is falling apart. The real one, what's actually happening in reality, but also perhaps even the fake one that we're fed by special interests who have enough wealth and power to control the narrative of this modern society we live in. I did an episode of Film School for Dad recently, my other other podcast, and hopefully you'll excuse the cross-promotion, but we covered the movie The Truman Show, and in it I tried to explain to my dad how I relate to poor Truman Burbank sailing out into the unknown at the end of the film, attempting to face his fears and break out of the control people have been subtly exerting on him for his entire life, and to deter him from discovering the truth, the powers that be throw everything they have at him. Darkness, storms, lightning, tidal waves, they, they trigger his deepest traumas and physically push him almost to the brink of death. But he pushes through, and when the boat hits the wall that proves his entire existence has been a fraud all along, he doesn't feel fear or pain or disappointment. He feels relief. You can see it on his face, the way Jim Carrey acts that moment. I don't know if I explained it all that well to Dad during the podcast, but I've come to understand it even better since then, because my decision to break free of my perceived prison and find some truth in my life has never been more challenged. I I tried to start doing yoga and meditation and immediately I injured my knee. I tried to transform my job into something more meaningful and then all of a sudden bushfires started ravaging the country and convincing the world that we're in some kind of climate emergency. And when I finally made the move to quit my job, this coronavirus strikes. It reminds me of Bill Murray's line in in Ghostbusters, 
Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. I mean, we now live in a world where Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Prince Philip can defend his friendship with a sex trafficker. And despite all the Disney propaganda, a princess can voluntarily quit the royal family. It's just insane. The world is upside down. Even this podcast, every time I'd sit down to record, entire fucking episodes prepped and researched, notes written and ready to go in front of me, something would stop me. The guy next door would start playing a trumpet or Mariella would start vacuuming around me or I'd realize the dryer was running and by the time it had finished, my inspiration was gone. Hell, even before that, my mixer broke and the drivers on my computer started glitching. It's just been a non-stop fuck you to the podcast. And of course, none of those are great reasons not to record, but they sure were great excuses. I mean, even as I say this, someone is playing an off-key recorder in a neighboring apartment, a fucking recorder. So if you can hear it, I'm sorry. But We're going to forge ahead regardless, because if the entire world seems to be conspiring against me to prevent me from doing what I really want to do, then isn't that exactly the reason that I need to do it? So I got a new mixer and a new attitude. I'm going to get fucking healthy. I'm going to fight for control over my own activities, and I'm going to quit my fucking job and create more time to do the things that I'm passionate about. I'm going to talk about the things that I think about, just in case some people out there are thinking about the same things and feeling alone and weird as a result, which was exactly the original reason for starting this podcast in the first place. And if the world has to unravel around me to make that happen, so be it, because I'm going to keep going until my boat crashes into that wall. And yes, I know it isn't really all about me. But hasn't everyone at some point entertained that narcissistic thought once or twice? You know the one, that if there is only one real consciousness in the universe, through whose imaginative power the entirety of reality is created and formed, then there is only one person to whom that consciousness could belong. And that person is you, because your consciousness is the only one that you can verify firsthand, right? Come on, I know you've thought about it too. Anyway, I recently criticized creators on social media for um, shoehorning the word corona or COVID into their videos and blog articles. So I'm not going to do that. I'll find a title that doesn't mention the coronavirus, but that is what we're going to talk about. Um, And I'm not talking about this to get new listeners. In fact, until about an hour ago, I wasn't going to do this podcast at all, but I just feel like We have to talk about this. You know, those of us who've been on this journey, exploring story together, going out on a limb, examining ideas and possibilities that risk getting us labeled as a little bit nuts. This is just for me and my people, you guys, people who've been listening for a long time. In fact, I would instruct you to not even share this episode, please. Let's just talk about it amongst ourselves. For the true believers, if that's what we really are. Because whatever you think about the coronavirus, whether it's a natural occurrence engineered in a lab, uh, 
or God just getting pissed off at our decadence. There is a narrative surrounding it. And that's what we do here, right? We examine stories. So buckle in, because I don't even know what we're going to say here, but we need to talk about the coronavirus. is a very, very beautiful, charming and bustling city in central China. It sits on the banks of Yangtze River. It's a mega city. Wuhan is also home to the second most number of universities in China. People around the world come to Wuhan to study. It's right in the heart of the country, geographically as well as economically. All these trains and planes are coming through there. And to have the virus outbreak start there, it's almost like if you wanted to pick the worst place for it to break out in, that would be the place you'd release it. So one of the things that strikes me about this kind of epidemic or crisis is you're going to hear a lot of appeals to authority. It's one of those things that I quite frequently get in heated discussions uh, about with people because I don't necessarily respond to appeals to authority and have a preference for going straight to the source evidence. Uh, and it frustrates people because you know they want to be able to say, well, Bill Gates hired a team of a thousand scientists and they came up with this answer. And I'll still say, how did they come up with that answer? What is that based on? Where's the research? And so on. And I, I get why that's annoying. Uh, it certainly is an inefficient way to live your life. And uh, uh, I, I certainly feel the effects of that myself. Uh, I do a lot of uh, research into things that I thought I'd never have to look into. And hey, I admit 100%, I will never be as expert as someone who studied it for their entire life. And the fact that I don't believe in appeals to authority doesn't mean that I don't think the authorities know more about something than I do. It's more of a trust issue. People in positions of authority uh, are quite capable of lying and manipulating the truth in order to benefit themselves, benefit the elites, the agenda, whatever it is you want to call it. And to be honest, a coronavirus outbreak like this looks quite a lot like what the conspiracy theorists of the world have been screaming about for decades. I mean, the virus playbook has been on the cards since, I don't know, probably the very first modern conspiracy theory about the new world order. And look, I don't want to get all conspiratorial about this. I think the difficult thing to do in life is to entertain ideas and possibilities without committing to one or the other. That's something I think we can all learn how to do, and it's something that we we should be striving for. Why not hear about the crazy conspiracy theory that the coronavirus is all uh, a cover for 5G technology rollout, and that it's actually the 5G making people sick and they're just using it as a way to explain people passing out and having their organs boil inside their body or whatever. I mean, look, I'm not saying that's not true. I'd need to see some correlation between where the virus 
is uh, getting rolled out, you know, where people are passing out in the streets and the actual rollout of the uh, 5G technology. I haven't seen that yet. Maybe there is some correlation. Maybe that's an interesting theory. I don't know. The one that I saw uh, seemed to rely on the idea that viruses actually don't exist at all. No viruses exist. And uh, as someone who's had viruses before, it's a little hard to follow. Again, I don't say I'm an expert, but I don't necessarily trust people who say that they are either. Let's just be empirical about things. Let's be scientific. What's wrong with that? People are buying toilet paper for fuck's sake. That makes no sense. You know, I think we need to understand that people are, in general, emotional creatures and not rational creatures. But we can be. We just need to have the discipline. A few small disciplines, in fact. So let's talk about why I'm doing this podcast in the first place, right? Because I've got to tell you, I'm actually tired of being the cynic. And when this outbreak happened, I swore black and blue that I wasn't going to be that guy. I did end up kind of being that guy a little bit, and here I am, and here I am being that guy. Initially, when this outbreak happened, quite quickly there emerged a number of conspiratorial links to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. One of these was that, that really piqued my interest initially was this Event 201. Now, you can look this up. This is available online. It was a forum in which... Uh, Various representatives of global organizations sat around a table imagining a coronavirus outbreak. The line between disinformation and misinformation is not always an easy one to find. Governments need to be willing to do things that are out of their historical perspective. Or, For the most part, it's, it's really a, a war footing that we need to be on. It can happen quickly. A Marshall-type plan, uh, you know, I don't mean to say that exactly, but a Marshall plan that can go into effect uh, can stimulate a change very quickly. The distrust relates to the health system more generally. A step up from the part of the government on enforcement actions against fake news. I think a couple of things we have to consider are, even before this began, the anti-vaccine movement was very strong, and this is something specifically through social media that has spread. Welcome to Event 201. Now, it wasn't the COVID-19 coronavirus. It had a different infection rate and a different mortality rate, but it was a coronavirus, and it was held six weeks before the Wuhan outbreak. Now, say what you will about that. That happened. It was real. And one of the global organizations that was present was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, that combined with another piece of information that came out around the same time, which was that there was a virology lab in Wuhan that could have been the source for the outbreak. So I went to Google Maps and I typed in uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is the name of the lab, and Google Maps said that place doesn't exist. Would you like to search for another place or would you like to add that place or whatever? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe the conspiracy theorists had it wrong. So I thought I'll, I'll try regular old Google and see if that Wuhan Institute of Virology actually comes up. And it did. I found a website for it. I went to the about page. I got their address and I thought, that's what I'll do. I'll cut and paste the address into Google Maps and I'll find the location. And once again, the location didn't come up, even based on the specific address listed on their website. It took me to the right town, but it didn't acknowledge that that was a valid address. 
I thought, okay, no problem. Well, maybe it doesn't exist. But I started scrolling around the map a bit, just looking at landmarks and stuff. And lo and behold, I noticed in the top left, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, right there, spelt exactly the same as I'd searched for it. And I just couldn't ignore the coincidence that Google would have this little glitch in a search that's probably happening quite frequently right now in people who are curious about these conspiracy theories. So um, there is a lab, 18 kilometers or something from the wet market in which the outbreak supposedly occurred. And there's something going wrong with Google, because if they haven't nailed search technology by now, then we're all in a lot of trouble. Then there were a few other things that came up. You know, Bill Gates seems to kind of keep popping into my news feeds in social media. My girlfriend, Mariella, came and said, oh, I just saw an ad saying that Microsoft Teams is the solution to the coronavirus because it enables you to work from home. And I was like, uh, Microsoft, that, that's owned by Bill Gates. What? Why does he keep popping up? And I started explaining to Mariella the links and she thought I was crazy. And maybe I am, but um, it was just one of those things that it's like, please stop slapping me across the face with Bill Gates links, please. I don't want to be the conspiracy guy. And then, you know, of course, uh, big news that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation were going to start releasing testing kits that you could order in the US. Uh, they'd be more accurate than the ones the doctors have. And you could order them and have them at your door in under two hours or something like that. I'll tell you, if he shows up with a fucking vaccine as well, that'll be it for me. He'll be the face of evil. <laughs> that'll be the end of the discussion. But when I started looking at this, I was just like, it so has the fingerprints of the very conspiratorial New World Order, you know, culling of the masses or, or takeover of the world or whatever you want to call it. It's right there. It's just, it looks exactly like uh, anyone might have imagined it. So where does all this paranoia come from? You know, it doesn't come from nowhere. I mean, yeah, it's a logical fear when a lot of people have all the wealth and all the power of the world. But it doesn't come from nowhere. And, you know, I, I started having a look at some of the source documents for these conspiracy theories. You know, the, um, the old eugenics stuff is pretty well known, but there's more recent stuff than that. And it actually came out the year before I was born. So it's been around my entire life. It's widely known as the Kissinger Report, I believe. And you can read that yourself. Just search for the Kissinger Report. You'll find an article, you'll find links there. Um, it was classified for a long time and eventually got declassified. So you are reading uh, a paper that was, at least back then, considered something that should be kept secret to government. So whether or not they're actioning any of the suggestions in this, again, decide for yourself. But when they classify a document, you've got to know they're at least considering it. So let's check this out a bit. It's got uh, declassification info. Um, it's supposed to, supposedly uh, declassified by the end of 1980, but it clearly says it was declassified in 1989, so it took a little bit longer than was scheduled. And this document is surprisingly candid. For instance, there is a balancing equation that it talks about. I'll just read directly from the paper for a second. It's a bit stale, but bear with me. The universal objective of increasing the world's standard of living 
dictates that economic growth outpace population growth. In many high population growth areas of the world, the largest proportion of GNP is consumed with only a small amount saved. Thus, a small proportion of GNP is available for investment, the engine of economic growth. Now, that makes sense, right? If you're not saving money, you can't reinvest in infrastructure and raising the standard of living. I get that. It makes sense. But to use that to justify some of the things that come later in the paper, it gets a little insidious. So let's skip down to the policy recommendations section and have a look at what they're planning to do about all this. So point 28 quite clearly says world policy and programs in the population field should incorporate two major objectives. A, actions to accommodate continued population growth up to 6 billion by the mid 21st century without massive starvation or total frustration of developmental hopes. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, guys. What's B then? Actions to keep the ultimate level as close as possible to 8 billion rather than permitting it to reach 10 billion, 13 billion, or more. So they've set themselves a bit of a limit there. Don't know where that number comes from, but they seem pretty committed to it. And we are actually reaching those limits right now as the coronavirus spreads. So yeah, let's just have a look at some of these policy recommendations. And I would direct your attention to um, policy D here, creating conditions conducive to fertility decline. It says, the preferential sectors include providing minimal levels of education, especially for women. Oh, nice. Well done, Kissinger. Very, very sexist of you. And of course, you know, all this paranoia about the dumbing down of the population, it's a little bit there in black and white, is it not? Reducing infant mortality, including through simple low-cost healthcare networks. And while that's a little counterintuitive, it does state earlier in the paper that the fear of infant mortality does lead people to have more children. Point three, expanding wage employment, especially for women. That means getting them into the workforce. Of course, they're going to be less educated, so they won't probably do a stellar job. But you get them into the workforce, they're not going to be having kids. Developing alternatives to children as a source of old age security. Now, that's an interesting one because having lived in the Philippines for a time, uh, children definitely are seen as a source of old age security. They're basically um, a retirement fund because when people hit 50, 60, or so, they still have maybe 20 years to live, um, but they're not employable. And of course, education of new generations in the desirability of smaller families. Now, all of those points pretty much are happening in various ways, I think. I don't know about the education levels. I'm not sure how long they would have got away with that. Keep in mind, this paper was released in 74. So uh, even back then, there was a, a women's movement and yeah, I think that was probably a pretty antiquated idea, even for the times. Look, there's the kernel of every conspiracy theory you've ever seen in just those points. And, you know, this is quite a long paper, and I'd encourage you to go uh, download it. I'll give you the link in the, in the description for the podcast, and you can um, find it yourself. And uh, have a look at what people were thinking about 
back in the day. And keep in mind, Henry Kissinger was a trusted advisor to at least the upper levels of government, but probably to you know your Rockefellers and so on as well. Just keep in mind who these people are. If they have these ideas in their heads, then it's pretty reasonable to assume they acted on some of these recommendations. And listen, I could go on about this. I've probably lost a lot of you. You've probably all turned it off already anyway. But if you're still here and you're looking for something to research, go and research uh, you know, Malthusian ideas and how they've been debunked, because those ideas are the ones that this report is based on. There's a term that apparently the elites have used for the rest of us, useless eaters. Hmm, what a nice expression that is. So look, I just wanted to mention these things. I'm not saying that we should panic. In fact, we should do exactly the opposite of panicking because, to be honest, I don't think this virus is the lethal culling of the population that conspiracy theorists have been expecting. I think it's very far from that. It's not lethal enough, and even though it spreads quite, quite quickly, there's no indication that our immunity won't just build up and it'll become like the common flu. However, the things that may stem from this crisis, the things that may be suggested while we're all in a state of panic and fear, they're the things you need to watch. And a crisis is the perfect motivation for people to give consent to things that they normally wouldn't. So we need to watch what we give our consent to in this period. We need to keep a level head. We need to watch the stories we're told. Don't make emotional decisions. Don't go hoard toilet paper, please. And uh, maybe we'll be all right. Because to be honest, the biggest risk in uh, a crisis like this is the human panic, not the virus itself. So if you'll excuse me, holy shit, I need to find a job. (laughs) 